And what I'm going to be talking about today is resiliency. Okay, and some of you probably have heard that terminology recently. You hear a lot of it. It's a buzzword out there today. Be resilient, resiliency, resilient leadership. So I want to talk a little bit about that today. I read an interesting article in the Wall Street Journal. It was titled, Secrets of Resilience, and it was by a psychologist at the University of Virginia. So I'll be using some of the data that she collected for that article on various studies that have been done in the subject of resiliency. And I'm also going to give you guys a little quiz on resiliency. I have a couple assistants in the audience who will pass out a little sliver of paper. How many of you have pens out there? Let me see a show of hands. Okay, I've got three extras up here, so you may be able to share with your partners out there. There's three more here that we'll be passing out, and it's just a little quiz where you got to put a number down to estimate where you are on a certain question, and then I'll have you add those numbers up a little bit later, and we'll let you know what the experts say is your adversity quotient, which has a lot to do with resiliency. But before I get to that, I want to kind of set this up with a little story. So I was driving up here yesterday, and I thought I was going to get here much earlier than I did, uh, because I took yesterday off to get my mother to drive up, to drop her off at my uncle's house, and then head over here. And once I got to uh, Akron, so I kind of loop up from behind, come underneath, and then come up here to uh, the hotel I was staying at, I ran into a traffic jam. And I was like, man, I wanted to get there early. I wanted to get something to eat. You know, I hadn't eaten lunch that day. So I wanted to, that was in my mind. Like, I'm going to eat. I'm going to have a nice, relaxed evening. Going to finish the TV shows I got to do with Bill on Sunday. But I ran into traffic. And it was like, man, everything's going to be delayed now. I'm going to get behind the eight ball a little bit here. But immediately, what happened to me was, wait a minute. I do this every day in D.C. I'm in traffic every day in D.C. This is no big deal. And that happened pretty quickly. Initially, you know, I had that feeling probably because I was hungry. I wanted to eat, and I was going to have to wait for that. But immediately I got off of it, okay? And I was like, this is no big deal. Traffic, huh, this isn't traffic. Come and live in D.C. for a while where... When I do my job, which is as an instructor for a government agency, I have to go to another building sometimes for a three-week period of time to teach a particular section of a class. And when I go to that building, it's only 39 miles from my home. But if I leave that building after 3.30, it takes me two hours to drive those 39 miles. That's traffic, okay? <laughs> So this was about a half-hour delay, so it turned out to be much easier than I was anticipating. But what made it easier for me was I go through it three, four, sometimes five days a week on a regular basis. So I've built up a resistance to traffic, okay? So now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask my friends to pass out those little pieces of paper... And we're going to take a little quiz. Now, this is not 
the entire test. Does anybody need a pen? And you don't have to do this test if you don't want to, okay? It's up to you. But I have some extra pens here. And those of you watching out there, I'll give you a moment to grab a pen, get a little piece of paper. You could pass those around to anybody. Who needs a pen? Pen, pen. Oh, you guys are good with pens. Okay, here we go. Thank you, sir. All right. Got some more here if you change your mind. You can do this in your head also if you can add numbers. So I know we can all do that. So you should be fine even without a pen and paper. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you a question. And you need to give yourself a score between 1 and 5. I'll tell you what's on the 1 end of the uh, spectrum and what's on the 5 end of the spectrum. And then 2, 3, and 4 would be something in the middle. 2 is closer to 1, 4 is closer to 5, 3 is you're right in the middle on the question, okay? So I need you to write down what numbers you get on each of these questions. So here's question number one. You suffer a financial setback. To what extent do you believe you can influence that situation? A number one would be you can't influence it at all. A number five would be I can completely influence this situation. And then two, three, and four fall in between. So number one, I can't do anything about suffering a financial setback. Number five would be, oh, I can completely handle a financial setback. Okay? That's question one. So give yourself a number for that. Here's question two. You are overlooked for a promotion. To what extent do you feel responsible for improving the situation? Number one, you're not responsible at all for taking care of anything to do with that. Number five, you feel that you are completely responsible to do something about not receiving that promotion. And then two, three, and four, you guys got the idea here. Number three, question three. You're criticized for a big project that you just completed. The consequences of this situation will affect all aspects of your life, number one, or be limited to this situation. Put, put a five down if you feel that. Or anything in between, two, three, and four. Yes, you are criticized for a big project you just completed. The consequences of this situation will affect all aspects of your life. Give yourself a one if that's true. Or be limited to just this situation. Give yourself a five if that's true. Or anywhere in between, two, three, and four. Okay, just a couple more, gang. You accidentally delete an important email. The consequences of this situation will last forever. Give yourself a one. Quickly pass. Give yourself a five. And again, two, three, and four fall in the middle there somewhere. Three more, four more questions. The high-priority project you are working on gets canceled. The consequences of this situation will, one, affect all aspects of my life. Five, 
Again, be limited to the situation. Next question. Someone you respect ignores your attempt to discuss an important issue. To what extent do you feel responsible for improving this situation? Number one, not responsible at all. Or number five, I feel completely responsible for this. And then two, three, and four, you know, in that spectrum. Okay, two more, two more. People respond unfavorably to your latest ideas. To what extent can you influence the situation? Not at all would be a number one. Completely would be a number five, okay? And then it could be two, three, or four now, okay? Variations of those, okay? All right, here we go. Last question. You're unable to take a much-needed vacation. The consequences of this situation will, one, last forever, five, quickly pass. Okay, give yourself a number between one and five for that. And I'd like you to add up all your numbers now. So add up all of those numbers, okay? And let me tell you what the numbers supposedly say. Again, this is just one one idea that's out there. And this information comes from uh, a fellow named Paul Stoltz, who wrote the book Adversity Quotient, the Adversity Quotient book. And uh, again, he's, he's got some information as to why he's asking you these types of questions. But here's what the numbers say. If you got between 8 and 18 it indicates you have a difficult time dealing with adversity and or adversity takes an unnecessary toll on your energy, performance, and spirit. If you got between 19 and 31 when you add all those numbers up, it indicates you deal with adversity fairly well. However, your performance can be enhanced a little bit more. And if you got numbers between 32 and 40, it indicates you have a high tolerance for adversity and an ability to persevere in all kinds of situations. So that would be a very good mark, those particular numbers. Now, let me explain something about this test. Those questions that I asked you are based on four categories of data. And I'll call it core, core data. It's what Stoltz calls it. Number one, the first letter C for core stands for control. So some of those questions have to do with how much control you think you have over adverse situations. So when I was in traffic, I had no control over that situation, okay, unless I was going to cause an accident. Okay, but was I okay with that lack of control? So many times, our resiliency has to do, or sometimes it has to do, with how much control you feel you need to have in a situation. And let me just say, sometimes it's okay not to have control, folks. If you are a control freak, that's not going to help you when it comes to adversity, okay? The O, the O in core, 
stands for ownership. So some of those questions deal with ownership or to what extent do you hold yourself responsible for improving a situation? So a lot of times, what will happen? Oh, it's his fault. It's my boss's fault I didn't get that promotion. Is it? Are you looking at yourself first? Are you thinking about what did I do that didn't get me promoted? Okay, how much ownership do you take over these various situations? That has a lot to do with how much resiliency you have. The R in core stands for reach. And that means putting the setbacks in their place and not letting, letting them impact the rest of your life. You've heard people say, I compartmentalize that. I leave that over here. I can put that over on this shelf in your head, okay? You need to do that sometimes, okay? You don't want to carry these heartaches, these bad things that happen to you around, because what happens when you start carrying stuff around? It weighs you down. It stops you from doing all you can do in life. You know, I just came out of hernia surgery a few weeks ago, folks, and that was a great lesson to me from the fact that, you know, I got to deal with this now. You know, I was going a couple months without doing anything. I thought I would just get better, not realizing what was going on. I had, I had a problem I needed to get looked at. So you don't want to carry these things around because they will weigh you down and stop you. Don't let the past control what's happening today or what's going to happen tomorrow. You, leave, you need to leave the past in the past. It's over. It's done. It's not coming back unless you carry it with you right here. And you can do that, folks. We've all done it. We've all carried that past into our present, into our future. Leave it there. Learn from it. Understand it. Use what's good from it. But it's done, folks. It's over. Leave it there. The E in core stands for endurance. The ability to see beyond the difficulty, to see beyond the difficulty, and here's the kicker, and maintain hope. And that's the big word. And if you're a Christian, you know that word hope is huge. We all have this hope in the future kingdom. We all have this hope in overcoming the physical nature and becoming spirit beings one day. That hope sustains us as Christians, right? Without that, man, I'd be in trouble, okay? But I believe it like I believe the sun will shine each day, you know? The sun's still out there even though it's cloudy. That's why there's light, okay? So it's not shining, but it's out there. You get, you get what I'm saying here. So we've got to maintain hope, and some of those questions have to do with that important factor of hope. Now, when I look at those four factors that make up Stoltz's concept of core, I see those in the Bible. The idea of control, ownership, reach, and endurance, they are addressed in the pages of your Bible. Let me give you a couple of examples. In Matthew 24, 13... Notice what it says about endurance. And I'll take these backwards now. So that's the E in the core, what, what can make you resilient. Matthew 24, 13. Does the Bible tell us 
to endure, to have endurance. It most certainly does. Matthew 24, 13. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Now when you hear the word endurance, folks, do you think it's easy? Does the word endurance connote something that's going to be easy? No, it doesn't. Endurance means it's going to be hard. In order for you to build endurance, if you're a runner, you got to push yourself a little bit more each week or each couple weeks to try to go faster, to try to go farther. You have to endure and push the body to reach higher levels of endurance. Romans 15, 13. Notice what this says about endurance. Romans 15 and verse 13. Again, these are some great great scriptures for inspiration whenever you need it. Romans 15, 13. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. There's that word hope all over the place. Hope endures, folks. Hope is the fuel for your fire that keeps you going in life. If you don't have hope, you are not going to be a resilient person when problems arise in life. But notice something very key here. It's talking about hope, and what does it connect with hope? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Until you get baptized, until you've made that decision to follow that path, You don't get God's Holy Spirit. Everybody in the Old Testament didn't have God's Holy Spirit. In fact, very few in the Old Testament had it. Christ had to come, die, to give us access to that Spirit, which can give us that hope. So when you think of hope, it goes right in line with having God's Holy Spirit, and that hope is going to be there for you all the time. Matthew 6.25, Matthew 6.25, again, some hopeful scriptures here, Matthew 6.25, because what causes us pain in life? Matthew 6.25, therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you're going to eat, what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you will put on. Now that's all about eating, drinking, and clothing. That's like working to you know, make it in life, right? And we worry about those things all the time, don't we? Do I have enough money with this job? What if I get a different job? What if I get fired from my job? We worry about those things. Is not life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold, the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them, and are you not much better than they? So if you follow this path towards God, He's going to take care of you. Even though there are going to be dire times for you, at times they're going to happen. That's life. Even though there are going to be dire times, He's going to get you through. If you believe it, and with His Spirit, you will believe it, and you will have that hope that will sustain you through those tough times. Now, how about ownership? That's the O in core, which we just discussed. Go to Acts 2.38. Acts 2.38. Are we taking ownership of our part in our problems? Acts 2.38. Then Peter said unto them, Repent 
and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So there's the Holy Spirit again coming to you, but how? How does it come to you? When you do the O, when you take ownership of the fact, yeah, I'm a sinner. I've messed up. I screw up. I'm a physical being, and I'm going to mess up. I need God to bridge that gap for me. I need Jesus Christ to bridge that gap. Until we repent and get down on our knees and realize what we are, we can't have that relationship with God. You've got to take ownership of that. That's what repentance is all about. And then as you go through life and you mess up again and again, you've got to break down, get on your knees, and tell God, there I go again, please forgive that. And continue that relationship of taking ownership of your part in these problems that come into your life. And again, on the secular side, always look at your part of it too, okay? With me and my wife, you know, I'll tell you about a little argument we had this week in a minute, but I needed to take ownership of some of that, and initially it wasn't there, but I feel the Holy Spirit in me helped me get it soon after that. I'll tell you about that in a minute here. Now, we've we've dealt with the E, we've dealt with the O in core. Let's go to the... uh, the C in core here, and I'm sorry, reach, the reach part was uh, not worrying about the food or drink, realizing that, that God can sustain that and take care of you. That's the R in core. Let me get to the final letter in core, which is the C in core, and I'd like you to turn over to Luke chapter 9 and verse 23. Luke 9 and verse 23. And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now the sea dealt with what? It dealt with control, right? So what is God saying here? Deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. What's that saying? you got to let go. you got to let go. And as they say, let God you got to let go and let God. And this gets back to that control thing I've been talking about. And I'll tell you my little story now. So uh, this happened this week. It was like, wow, that's a great story for C here, okay? So I'll tell it to you, okay? My wife is not here, but I'm going to, you know, she's going she's gonna to come out okay in this story, okay? So my wife's real big into making sure my daughter's eating properly, okay? So, you know, and I'm, I'm all for that too, okay? But I'll get her a McDonald's once in a while, okay? So uh, we're, we're making dinner, and I just I'll make dinner. I'll, I got home early that day. I wasn't driving for two hours that night. So I said, I'm going to be good here, and I'm going to make the dinner for my daughter. My wife's going to be happy, and everything's going to be cool. And so, you know, I got the, the uh, fresh fruit, and I cut up some fruit. I had a fresh little salad there, you know, fresh vegetables. And then I had a Boca burger. You know what a Boca burger is? It's like vegetable protein, Okay. So my daughter kind of likes them, though, okay? So I said, okay, I'm going to make a Boca Burger sandwich because I know she likes the Boca Burger, and it's, it's going to be cool. So uh, my wife came upstairs from whatever she was doing in the basement, and uh, I said, oh, I'm making dinner. I got her dinner ready, blah, blah, blah. She goes, what is she eating? So I started to tell her what she was eating, and she didn't like the Boca Burger choice, Okay. <laughs> She was more interested in giving her something that was uh, 
right out of the ground, like plantains or something. I forget what she wanted to give my daughter. Um, so anyway, since I had planned this out and thought of it and started it, and I had three Boca burgers in there because I was going to eat two of them, okay? Uh, my wife doesn't eat Boca burgers, so I would have made it for her too, okay? So that, that wasn't the problem here, okay? So I, I was like, what? I said something like that. I may have been a little louder, to be honest with you, okay? Because you know why I said that, because like, I was like, I thought this was going to work, okay? This was, I was doing something in a positive way here, I thought. And then I was like, what do you mean? She's not going to eat that. I said, because earlier in the week, my wife had told me to do this, that, and the other thing. And over time, things build up sometimes. So just to give you some background here, I'm going to be honest with you, gang, okay? This is life. This is life, okay? So here's the point, though. Here's the point. Here's what you got to get out of the story. All of a sudden, it occurred to me, a Boca burger or plantains? I'm getting frustrated about whether my daughter eats a Boca burger or plantains tonight for dinner. Something just grabbed me and put that in my head. And I I believe that's the Holy Spirit inside of me talking to me. Because, you know, I was pretty under control most of my life, but I kind of could get angry about things at times. You know, that's something I needed to work on. But it was much quicker now. It happens much quicker that I get off the anger thing and realize, Boca Burgers and Plantons, come on, Mike. That is so inconsequential in life. I let the control go. My wife's not there yet. My wife has some issues with anger, too. She's not converted yet, okay? She believes in God. She's okay with the Sabbath. She lets me come here, okay, and do my thing. But she's not totally there yet, okay? So I let it go. I let it go. And you know what? I felt much better. I let go of that control over the situation. And she was in control. She is a lot in control, okay? But that was okay, okay? But when it comes to the Sabbath, or when it comes to the important things, don't worry, I will be there debating those, okay? But this was nothing, folks. And what nothings are you concerning yourself with in life right now? you got to let that stuff go. Let go of that control sometimes for the inconsequential things. That is what resiliency is all about. Now, I want to tell you a little bit about some research that's been done in this particular area, this resiliency area, because it's going to help us understand how God is working with us and making us more resilient also. So a study was done, and if my friends in the back, just keep me informed on the time because I lost track of it, okay? So if my friends in the back can do that for me, I will be more resilient here. Okay, so Victor and Mildred Gertzel, that's spelled G-O-E-R-T-Z-E-L, they wrote a book in the 1960s called Cradles of Eminence, a provocative study of the childhoods of over 400 famous 20th century men and women. So these were people like Louis Armstrong, Eleanor Roosevelt, John D. Rockefeller, Henry Ford, Marie Curie. Okay, so famous people in the 20th century who did some big stuff. 
Okay, That was the type of people they were looking at in this study. And here's what they found of these famous, successful people. 15% of them were raised in a supportive home. Now, what do I mean by supportive? Their parents weren't dysfunctional. Both parents were there. And it was kind of a, a good upbringing for them. Only 15% of those 400 people grew up in that type of a home. 75% of those famous, successful people grew up in a home with a severe problem. Problem like alcoholism, poverty, sexual or physical abuse, a serious illness, or some type of misfortune was impacting over 75% of those famous, successful people as they grew up in life. Now, why do, we, why do we talk about this? Because some of these people said that unless it wasn't for that trouble in their life, it wouldn't have pushed them to become the success they became. Now, that's not true in all cases. There are some people who live in a crummy upbringing, and they end up living a crummy life. They don't become successful. Many of them are in prison today. Many of them are out there having problems and issues with life today. Many of them commit suicide because of that upbringing that they go through. Okay, So there's no guarantees that these troubles are going to make you successful But here's what it is. If you have resiliency within, right up here in your brain, you can make yourself resilient. And a lot of these people did that. It was their attitude. It was their fortitude that helped them get resilient and work through the issues to become successful. Now, that's all in the secular realm, okay? A little bit more information on this before we get into the spiritual side of things. Another study was conducted in Hawaii in about 1955. And they were looking at resiliency once again. And again, what does resiliency mean? It means you're adapting well in the face of adversity. You can get through trauma, through tragedies, and through threats, at least in a positive way. It's like, it's like a rubber band. You pull a rubber band apart and let it go, what happens? It comes back to the same shape that it was originally, right? That's what resiliency is. That's a good way of thinking about what resiliency is. Now, why did some of these successful people use, use the things that happened to them, become resilient and succeed, and other people who have bad things happen to them don't get resilient and our failures. Well, here's, here's a little bit of why. It has to do with this study that was conducted in Hawaii in 1955. And they found that two-thirds of the people that had a rough upbringing were not successful in this study, and about one-third of the people were. So again, it varies among these various studies that they conduct. Now, when they asked the people who were successful, why do you think you became successful after going through what you went through in your life. Here's what they found. Many of them were proactive. 
So that's getting back to what we were talking about earlier, that they took ownership of the problem, okay? They run into a problem, okay, my dad's sick all the time. Well, I'm going to get somebody to come in here and help us with my dad. Or my dad's going to have to go into a nursing home, right? You know, they took charge of the situation, okay? Rather than just let it happen to them, they were proactive. Another thing they did was they made goals and plans on a regular basis, a lot of people don't make goals. They just let life happen, okay? It's important to have goals and ideas of what you want to do, what you need to do on a consistent basis. They did this also. They found support networks, friends, relatives, organizations were used by these people to overcome the stuff that was happening in their life. And here's probably the most important thing that they said. A lot of them said that their greatest asset was their mental determination, their will to never lose, and this is the word they use, not me. They said, I never lost hope. I never lost hope. What did we read about in the Bible a moment ago about hope, folks? The Bible's all about hope, okay? The Holy Spirit will give you more hope, okay? Hope can sustain you. It can endure you. You can create it in your own mind without God. You can. You can do that. A lot of people do. And they live successful, good lives. But we want more than that, don't we? We don't just want a successful, good life. We want eternity, right? Therefore, that's why the hope through God is so much more important than the hope you can create between your two ears. And that in, in, in includes receiving the, the Holy Spirit, which can help you with that hope. Now, another study that was conducted, again, I'm going to hammer you with some studies here. I want you to make sure you got this. This was conducted with 81 prisoners in East Germany. Now, again, East Germany no longer exists today, so this is back during communism, okay? And these were political prisoners in East Germany. They found in this group of 81, two-thirds of them had PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Now, why did they have it? Because during their captivity, they were beaten. They were traumatized. They were threatened. So a lot of bad things were happening to them that stressed out their body, okay? So some stress is good for you, okay? A lot of stress every day is not good for you, okay? That's going to cause you problems. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But some of these folks, one-third of them, did not get PTSD, even though they went through the same things that these other folks went through. And once again, what was it inside of them? They interviewed them. Why didn't you get PTSD? Why are you okay right now? They've done studies like this with people who survived the Holocaust also. And they asked them, what was it that sustains you? What got you through? For many, it is their belief in God. Some people say that. But these political prisoners in East Germany said that they had an inner defiance that regardless of the fact that they didn't have control over their situation... Those people could still not do anything to what they were thinking in their brain, right? 
No one can control what they're thinking in, unless they take control of your brain and do something to it. But they weren't going that far, okay? They were just beating them with a rubber hose or threatening them with dogs in their face or whatever it may be, physical things. They could not control their mind. Your mind is a very powerful tool because what the Bible says is there's a spirit in man. And science says we don't know what consciousness is yet. Let me tell you, the spirit in man resides in your consciousness. I believe man's spirit is connected to what we call consciousness, your awareness, which makes you different from regular animals. Science doesn't think we're that different from regular animals, but we are, and that's one of the reasons why. Yet science has no answer for what consciousness is. Look it up. There's no scientist that can tell you, oh, we, got, we know what consciousness is. Oh, we understand that one. They say we don't know what it is. It's a mystery to us. Because that's the spirit in man that can help you overcome all these things that we're talking about. But here's the deal. God has a spirit also that can meld with that consciousness that you have. And when that melds together, you are more powerful than when you are not melding together with God's spirit. That's another way to grab resiliency and hang on for the rest of your life. These people were defiant in their minds. Their attitude did not change that someday I might get out of this. Someday I might overcome this. Someday I'm not going to give up. I've got a different attitude and I've got power to control that attitude. That's what was different for those who fell apart and those who did not. That determination within their own mind. Now let me tell you a little, a little story here. There were two brothers that were raised by a violent, alcoholic father. One grows up to be just like his father, violent and alcoholic. The other one grew up and was abstinent. He didn't drink. And he became a success. And he had a great life. And he married a a great person. And he had kids. And everything worked out in his life. And so they got these two guys together and they asked him, you know, you know, what made you into what you became in life? And they both answered the question in the same way. And they said this, given who my father was, how could I not? Did you hear what I said? They both answered the same way. The one who ended up just like his dad is an alcoholic, violent person said, well, you see who my father was. How could I not become this? The other one said... I'm successful, I don't drink, I got a great family and kids, good job. The reason I became this way is I had an alcoholic, violent father. You get what I'm saying here? One made a choice this way, and one made a choice that way. But here's the deal, here's the key. You decide, you decide if you want to. You make that decision. Whether you're going to go this way or you're going to go that way. And you don't let anything else stop you. So the decision, the big one in life is, am I going to make this commitment to God? Am I going to follow what this book says to do about life? Because you can be successful in this life. You can have a great family and everything may be quote unquote perfect. The nice car, the nice house. But here's the deal, man. It goes away. You die. 
The end of the story is you die, right? And no psychologist or social scientist has figured out how to get past that one yet. But I got an answer for you. It's right in the Bible. You get that Holy Spirit, folks, and it goes beyond that. It goes beyond this. And you can have that just like Christ has promised you. Now, as we start to wind this thing down, another major point about coping with stress, it's a lot like exercise. We become better at it with practice. Remember what I said in my first story. All the traffic in D.C., you know, I got people come to D.C. and they're like, oh my goodness, when are we going to get here? When are we going to get there? And I'm like, oh, we'll get there. It's no big deal because it's become a part of me. I've become resilient to the traffic. It's just like exercise, okay? I, I, I was squatting, and my mind was telling me I can still squat this weight. And I did, but my body was saying, you're 54 now, stuff's different, and now you got a hernia because of it, okay? So yeah, we can be, re- sometimes we're too resilient, okay? But the point I'm trying to make here is that there's another psychologist named Richard Dinstbeyer at the Nebraska University who's got this model called the toughness model. And he's shown in in various studies that when we're exposed to stressors intermittently but not continuously, it can help build up our resistance better. So if you, like you guys here in Cleveland, you guys get cold weather and a lot of snow, okay? But you get used to that, right? So you got somebody coming from uh, South Carolina to visit you in Cleveland in the winter, and they're kind of like, oh my goodness, all the snow and the cold, they can't handle it like you can, okay? But if you got 12 inches of snow every night, okay, you're going to die. You get what I'm saying here? So we don't want to stress ourselves too much as we try to build up our resistance, as we try to build up uh, this toughness that, that we need We need to do it intermittently. So some things you can do on a secular level are do new things, like take a class, uh, learn judo, uh, learn how to play an instrument, because it's difficult to do some of those things, but when you do them over time, slowly but surely, you start to get it, and it builds up your resistance, it builds up your your toughness, it builds up that word we're talking about here, which is resiliency. Uh, but if you don't do anything, you know, if you're not active, if you just go home and watch TV, that's not helping you become resilient at all. You need to be active and engaged in various projects that can help build that uh, resiliency that you need. Um, what also can help your resiliency, according to the psychologist Meg Jay, is to get involved with other people, okay? So you want to have support networks out there, somebody you can talk to when you're feeling down, when you're feeling angry, when you're feeling upset, because you can vent that all out and then it's gone, okay? If you don't have those close relationships with people at work and the church, wherever it may be in your family, that's not going to help you build resiliency, But here's the missing ingredient once again, folks, and it comes over to the spiritual side of things. Turn with me to John chapter 14 and verse 16. John 14 and verse 16. 
So when Christ was going to leave the earth, he told his apostles, hey, you know, I'm not going to be around. You know, they were starting to rely on him. They were realizing that this guy, he knows what's going on. They had a great relationship with him, and they wanted to continue that relationship with with him. But he was setting them up to let them know he was going to have to go. And he says this in John 14, 16. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you... Now listen to the words he uses... He shall give you another comforter in the Greek that he may abide with you forever. Now think about that word that Jesus uses to describe the Holy Spirit. A comforter. And think about what we've been talking about with resilience, okay? Resilience is I'm going to keep hoping. I've got determination. I'm going to keep going. If somebody's comforting you, doesn't that help you keep going? You know, when I went in for my hernia operation, it was like, man, it was great service. The nurses were like so nice to me. I never got that kind of service at a doctor's office or a hospital before. I've never had surgery before. Maybe that has something to do with it because they tell you, oh, you could die, you know. So uh, when they cut you open and put you out, you could die. You know, they got to tell you that. So it's like, wait a minute, why are they being so nice to me here? But there was a comfort there that made me feel good. I was like, wow, this is nice. Do you put these little footsies on your, on your feet? And, you know, I got to do this and I got to do that. Some stuff we don't want to discuss what they had to do. But uh, they were comforting. They were comforting with everything they had to do to me. Okay? And it, it helped me. It helped me get through that. I was feeling good as I was laying there finally on the operating table and then realizing some guy's going to cut me open right now, and I really don't know this guy too well. You know, that was the last conscious moment I had before I woke up. But there was a comfort level there that they put me in. That's what the Holy Spirit can do for you. How do I know? Because He does it for me. I'm good with life. I'm good with traffic. I'm good with getting hernia surgery, okay? Because of that Holy Spirit inside of me, comforting me, telling me, even if you die, Mike, it's okay. (laughs) Now that might not be comforting to some of you, but let's get real. Let's get real. When you're on that road, what was causing that traffic last night was a wreck up on the highway there. That could happen to any one of us anytime we get in a car. It could go just like that. Do you have the comfort knowing that you got the relationship with God that you need that's going to sustain you, not just in this life, but beyond this life? One more scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9. 1 Corinthians 2, 9. Again, that comforter, that relationship between your spirit and God's spirit 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9. But as it is written, eye has not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him. But God has revealed them unto us by His Spirit. When you get that Spirit, you've got that hope. You've got that hope for the future. But God's revealed these things to us by His Spirit. It makes you believe what this Word says. And this Word is all about hope. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man, save the Spirit in man, your consciousness, your mind, which is in him. 
Even so, the things of God knows no man but the Spirit of God. For you to really get this Bible, for you to really understand what it's all about, you got to get God's Spirit in you to bring this home to you, to make it click, to make it work. Verse 13. Verse 12, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they're spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And so the key, folks, the key to ultimate resiliency... You can do a lot with your own mind, but the key to ultimate sustained resiliency is to have the mind of Christ in you, which gives you that hope, that eternal hope for the future.